and the Nobel Prize was awarded by Dr. to Dr. Goldblatt in I think it was pre 1940s 50s, and he was taking cells from the same source. They were cardiac cells, and he was exposing the cells to oxygen and making sure the cells were bathed and and everything. But he took another group of cells and deprived them of oxygen. And some of the cells died with not enough oxygen, but the cells that didn't die, they mutated and they turned to cancer. So guys, I, I want you to really pay attention to this because we've been diving deep on the subject and you're going to be astonished how mouth breathers could benefit from becoming nose breathers and quite probably make ENT surgery for adenoids and tonsils obsolete. Do you believe it? Let's jump in right away. Steve, I know you're, you're deep into this subject and uh, you know it's, it's interesting that you and I have been discussing this and uh, it came to my attention. I'm really a good nose breather. Mm -hmm. I, I breathe through my nose while I'm lifting weights. Yep. Uh, and I think I got started because it was mentioned that if I breathe through my nose, I'll be able to uptake more nitric oxide, which would translate into the molecules of molecular nitrogen to vasodilate, improve my circulation. I figured improved circulation means I can perform better. Yep. More capacity. Yeah. Yeah. So... But then it came to me, I, I had some, a, a close relative having an issue with mouth breathing and they started talking about doing surgery. And I started combing the literature and thinking, well, wait a minute, there's people talking about taping their mouths and, and trying to consciously convert to becoming a nose breather. Oh, Tell yeah. me about this. Oh yeah, well, I, I'm a mouth breather. Okay. And I've been a mouth breather pretty much all my life. Wow. And uh, originally I was a kid who, uh, could not breathe through his nose, literally could not. In fact, I went to Catholic school and a nun attempted to tape my mouth shut. I was a talker, you know, this is second or third grade. <laughs> and um, I went home and told my parents and my dad stormed down to the uh, school and said, you will not tape my son's mouth shut. He cannot breathe. Well, I could not breathe. And later on, I find out I had a real um, lactose intolerance issue. Okay. I could not handle dairy, and I didn't really wow. eliminate dairy until I was 25 years old. So this was a lifetime of breathing um, through my mouth, and I snored, and my teeth came out a little crooked, and I had to get braces. And I'm finding, as we study this subject, that um, being a mouth breather screws up the structure of the face, makes your mouth smaller, makes your jaw smaller, makes your teeth not have enough room to spread out and do what they're supposed to do. So I've learned all of this in the last couple of years. And I'm so excited that you're talking about this today because this is something I'm passionate about. Well, you mentioned dairy. And when I was 12 years old, I had a whole year worth of essentially Crohn's disease and uncontrolled diarrhea literally every day. And wow. I, I, the doctor didn't believe me. He didn't think, how could you have diarrhea every day? He didn't believe me. Mm. And there was no solution. And I started at the age of 12 reading nutritional wow. textbooks. 12? And, yeah. <laughs> and I found, you know, this reference to that Latinas, Blacks, and certain ethnic races, Asian. In fact, if you go to Asia, you know, they hardly ever use dairy product. I mean, it's not indigenous to their culture. Not right? common, huh? No. And so I, I thought, what the heck? I got nothing to lose, but to maybe solve this problem. So I gave mm -hmm. up dairy product 
And within days, the chronic diarrhea went away. It was like, wow. oh my gosh. Wow. And so, and then the classic test, I go back and put milk back in my diet right. or cheese or yogurt or it didn't matter. In fact, non-fat milk was worse for me because it didn't have the milk fats. It had higher concentrations of the milk protein. So I, I determined in my case, mm -hmm. in my situation, it wasn't just the lactose sugar, as everyone always tells you, just take lactate, you know, the enzyme. No, right. it was the milk proteins that caused serious reactions in my body. Yep. And so, you know, I, I realized, you know, over time that, that could be an elegant solution, not just for uh, the, the condition of digestive issues, but autoimmune diseases, lupus, arthritis, uh, a number of conditions. And now oh, yeah. we're, we're looking at viral conditions and cytochrome storm. Uh, it's interesting that, again, overactive immune system. Now, you've given up dairy for how long, Steve? Well, I, I just turned 63. Yeah. So I was 25 years old. So what, what, what is that, almost 40 years? Yeah. Almost now, I'm years. looking at your blood, by the way, under the microscope, if you don't mind. There's it looks blood. immaculate, and you have essentially uh, two white blood cells up against each other. And I had to comb quite a distance to find white cells, which usually only have one white blood cell for every two to 500 red cells, which is what I find. You have a very compatible, good level of ratio. Nice. Um, and, and sometimes when I see this type of white cell, but in excess... This is uh, classified as an eosinophil. It's got granular sites, these little black things here. If you can see, these are very powerful digestive enzymes. And in some people, these white blood cells, when there's a foreign protein such as dairy or milk, or let's say gluten in some people with leaky gut, mm -hmm. or maybe it could be... It could be uh, strawberry. It could be anything. You, you, you never know. So we do personalized testing to find I out know. what. I love this. Yeah. So then we identify for the person what foods they should give up and not just okay. blankly say, well, you've got to you know, give up these categories. Categories help, but they aren't usually the best when we're talking about personalized nutrition. Mm -hmm. Well, I know that giving up dairy for me was, was very hard. And I had mentioned to you that uh, I went to a, a seminar by Harvey Diamond, the guy that wrote the book Fit for Life. And, and by the way, Tony Robbins had said he co-wrote that book. He told me that. Tony was working very closely with, with Harvey. With Harvey and yeah. uh, I kind of made me believe that. <laughs> yeah. But um, they made a very strong case uh, that dairy was not good for most of us. Did Harvey present at that meeting or it was the work that Tony was talking and, and referenced uh, well, Harvey Diamond? In those days, Tony promoted Harvey. And Harvey would show it, up though? Or Harvey no? did the presentation. Oh, he did? Tony was not on stage yet. So okay. Tony was still behind the scenes. I worked with Tony after that, I told you. Yeah. Remember? Yeah. So uh, Tony was behind the scenes just promoting Harvey. Harvey did the entire presentation right. alongside his wife who was the, um, the cooking expert. She would give the recipes for food combining and Harvey's was, wife. Yes, that was pre nineteen ninety, right? Oh yeah, it was uh, was probably late seventies, late seventies, yeah, early eighties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nineteen seventy eight, seventy nine. I remember being at the Holiday Inn, and uh, Tony Robbins was coming to town, getting ready to do a firewalk, and it was a. I'm like, what the heck? Next door, they're doing a right fire after walk? he worked with Harvey, he went to the firewalking, and then Tony went. Yeah. And became Tony Robbins, Anthony Robbins now. Yeah. We called him Tony. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's exciting. So, you know, having this this mutual history, you and I, and, and again, me looking at blood morphology for 43 years and being able to correlate not just textbook and references, but people who have been referred to me by 
really uh, well-intended medical doctors and educators saying, I can't figure this out. You better go see Dr. Nick and let's let's get to the bottom of this. Let's figure this yeah. out. And I had studied with Dr. Uh, Ron Duvendek from Germany, who the German doctors are sharp and, and they, they know a lot about gut health and, and they were doing microscopy in the early days. It was like, wow. So I was part of this early team. I was just talking with Dr. Neil. You were privy to some of that yes, conversation. Yes. Fascinating conversation. Yeah, Dr. Batchnuth. <laughs> I was trying to keep up. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 high level. I mean, he, he, he does our microscopy course with me and there's so much, not just for the general public to learn, but but for doctors to learn too. Oh sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah I this, mean, the average is, doctor isn't talking like like you guys were. <laughs> they are not. Yeah, yeah. And and the, the the good thing is it's science oriented. It's based on medical literature and journals. So what we're doing is working to bring the science to the medical community and to the general public, so that it's not just cast to the side and ignored. When in reality, it's one of the most amazing tools we can use to educate people. Because when you see it, sometimes seeing it is believing. And being able to see your own blood under a high-powered microscope and being able to see, When right? you first showed me my blood, I mean, yeah. it's not the first time we've done this together. No, no, right? I was like, what the heck is going on there? Because uh, I'd never seen my blood. Yeah. I mean, and I think everybody needs to see their blood. Yeah. Because it tells you, you know, I have good looking blood, you tell me. Yeah, you so do. So I, I feel Wait, great about it. What did you eat today, it. by the way? Was it pretty good? Uh, <laughs> today was a good day. Yeah. I had, um, today was um, uh, all, all plant-based. Yeah. All plant-based, uh, no sugars. Nice. I only really had one meal today. Yeah. One meal today. It's a one meal day. A um, little bit of fasting going on. Okay. Well, see, look at, this is a white blood cell right here. You can actually see it moving looking for microbes and toxins and viruses. And, you know, we can produce 6 million white blood cells within one minute when we're exposed to some new novel virus or bacteria or toxin. The body kicks in. Within a minute. Wow. And our body can produce what's called B cells. The B cells produce antibodies over a billion different combinations. There is not a toxin or chemical or agent or microbe on the planet that the body can't respond to. The only time it can't respond properly is in a weakened immune system. And yeah. that's where we talk about the adrenals, the breathing, the exercise, the mindset. All of it. There's five steps. Exercise. And I know Elevate delves deeply into some of the interventions of technology. Absolutely. So it's really kind of exciting yeah. that we, we came together. You know, we have a lot in common. And somehow you found me because we were talking about pulse electromagnetic PMF. frequency, right? Yeah. And uh, I was just doing some research it, and I find you and <laughs> you're in my backyard and I'm coming I'm coming to see this guy. I think you called me and I said, I said that day, I said, well, come on over. I was like, that's pretty short notice. I said, yeah, no. I said, I came right over. Let's, let's make we this. spent three hours together. Yeah, and it of was course. Terrific. And I got to I, I got to interview your CEO Carlos, an amazing yep. gentleman. Yep. We got to spend time at the NFL Combine, the NFL and combine. Uh, working with the elite that? athletes. That was awesome. Really good stuff. That you was know, a treat. You know, and I say all this not to brag, but to tell people that you know when when you're looking at human performance mm -hmm. and you're looking at illness, you you have two choices. You can either study a model of disease and illness, and you'll come up with certain findings, mm -hmm. or you can start looking at peak human performance at its highest level and go, what do these people have in common? There Why are they performing better than others? And then challenge these so-called infectious conditions, bacteria, um, you know, pandemics, whatever it is, 
and you put a person out there with a strong body, strong mind, That's following right. these five steps, That's right. versus someone who's kind of clueless and never been told by their doctor or educator or the school system or anyone. Or anyone. Right? It's not common. Right. I it's mean, I've been doing common. this for 43 years, and I learned about it when I was 12 years old. I mean, literally, I mean, all these books, I mean, it's, I know. it's, it's, I'm blessed, right? I'm learning every day new things. I mean, it's ridiculous how much great information is out there. And it's getting better because people are putting more energy and, and money into learning about these things. Absolutely. You know, this next part is going to go a deep dive into breathing. So please stay tuned, or if you're just tuning into this segment, Dr. Nick Delgado with Steve Estrada of Elevay, and here we go. Let's jump right in. You mentioned a few masters in this area. I had been studying them as well, and uh, let's jump right in with Patrick McEwen and James Nestor. Let's jump in. Okay, everyone, here we go. Doctors, I always steer away from the theory of carbon dioxide because sometimes... When a medical doctor asks me what's going on here, like I'll give you an example. I gave a, a talk to 150 year nose and throat doctors in Madrid last year. And I had them all do the exercise, all nodding up and down, nodding their heads. <laughs> and um, they, I seen them then starting to look at each other. So obviously they were feeling a difference to their nose, but these, their ear, nose and throat doctors, they weren't aware of the exercise, obviously. Um, but if we were to talk about what was going on there, carbon dioxide is, is very, um, it's, it, doesn't attract the most uh, <laughs> accepted reason. Um, but I really like what you said. I read that in your book about Kearney and that when we do breathe through the nose, the nose works absolutely better. And you did point out that 60 to 75% of people have deviated septums, as I have, where the line going down the, is crooked. But the human nose is an amazing organ once we start using it. And I suppose what you're saying to people is, Start breathing through your nose. Even if you feel a bit of air hunger, keep on doing it. For sure. And in hearing stats from a clinician like you, someone who deals with people daily, is really interesting because I'm, I'm usually talking to scientists or researchers who are in the lab. They're not in the field. So if you say you've, you've taught 7,000 people how to mm -hmm. nasal breathe and 15 of those 7,000 people couldn't About. figure it out, yeah. that's a pretty good <laughs> Percentage, what, 99.4% yeah. success yeah. rate. So when I hear things like that, it, in, it inspires me because I have to be very careful in how I present this stuff because an ENT is going to come at me and say, you know, 40% of the people do need surgery and this is why and here are the CAT scans, which is why in my, I'm, I'm speaking from my own perspective um, and from my own experience. I had a CAT scan of my nose it is a complete mess. Deviated set way over here. Concha bullosa, these growths. I mean, the ENT, uh, Dr. Jayakar Nayak, who helped me with, with the study and some of the research for the book, he said, you are a perfect candidate for surgery. Mm -hmm. Like If I saw this, you're a perfect candidate. I thought I'd take another route and start mm -hmm. habitually breathing from my nose. And I feel absolutely no no need for that surgery this is my personal yeah. experience here yeah. i exercise all the time pretty high volumes and i don't feel like i need more air i know that my nose is moderating and allowing me to gain mm. about 20 percent more oxygen breathing through my nose so that's 20 percent less air i would have to take in through my mouth so you start doing the math here and it just makes sense more yeah. sense across the board 
So he really explained that well. Wouldn't you say? I mean, just thinking about this whole idea of oxygen deprivation, and it takes me back to some of the early experiments about my fascination about the origin of cancer, for example. And the Nobel Prize was awarded by Dr. to Dr. Goldblatt in, I think it was pre-1940s, 50s. And he was taking cells from the same source. They were cardiac cells. And he was exposing the cells to oxygen and making sure the cells were bathed and, and everything. But he took another group of cells and deprived them of oxygen. And some of the cells died with not enough oxygen, but the cells that didn't die, they mutated and they turned to cancer. Mm. And it always stuck with me. I said, wow, oxygenating the body and all the cells of the body is critical. And since here for 43 years, I've been looking under a microscope at people's blood. And the first thing I see is if they've taken in a bunch of oils and fats and meats is their blood all clumped together. Now, we don't see that in your blood. You see little chylomicron fatty particles, which are triglycerides. You mentioned you had one uh, plant-based meal today. And and the red cells are evenly separated. And when they mention that you get 20% more oxygen when you breathe through your nose, yes. which yes. is what I do when I'm lifting weights on an all-out competition, breathing through my nose, it reminded me that blood-carrying capacity of the red blood cells, if you select the right meals on a daily basis, and that's why everyone argues, oh, uh, it's okay to use olive oil. Everyone says it's a health food. I said, wait a minute. Olive oil is processed just like sugar, and it goes into the blood. It clumps the cells together. Maybe a teaspoon of olive oil, okay, but not the amount that people are using in Indian food and, and high-fat fried foods and this and that. You reduce your oxygen by 30%. Now you take mouth breathing versus nose breathing, 20%. You've, got, you've lost 50% of your capacity. Aren't yourself. you at higher risk for disease Absolutely. such as cancer, asthma? Tell us about Everything. this. Everything. Well, you know, at Elevate Health, we our flagship product is the hyperbaric oxygen chamber. Yes, right. And you and I have talked about that. And the, the point of a hyperbaric oxygen chamber is to get more oxygen into the system. And when you do that, there is a laundry list of benefits. It goes on and on and on. And, you know, the, the correlation I always make is all the good habits we have, sleep, eating well, exercising, calmness, supplements. These are all designed to do many things, but one of the common goals is to improve the oxygenation of the body. Right. And you can't get away from that. No. So we give somebody a, a, a session in a chamber and you're going to improve your situation. But not everybody has a chamber. But everybody can do all those other great practices. But the reason we do it is the benefit that we're going to extract is so significant. He says 20% in, in improved oxygen uptake just because you breathe through yeah, your nose. Yeah, yeah, totally. Do you know uh, what 20% more means? I mean, we talk, We discovered something with you, uh, about you today. What's that? You're a performance athlete. Sure. And you beat guys half your age, and you've done it for years. You're a nose breather. Yes. When you work out, you breathe through your nose. I work out. I can't, I'm not there yet. I can't work out and breathe through my nose. That's my goal. Yes. You have such an advantage because you have built your capacity to a level that is far beyond 95 nine percent of the folks out there they don't even know or have this awareness you did it naturally yeah i mean 
you you do well, initially, initially consciously i had to focus on it because there was a tendency because everyone oh, okay. else breathes through their mouth when they're exercising i'm like well, why and then I, okay. I came across an indian teacher and he talked about no you you can breathe and then they talked about uh it, it was inhale through your nose and exhale through your mouth i thought okay i'll try that I've for a while that. and i thought it didn't matter I'm, I'm able to do both at high levels so why not just continue to breathe through my nose which is that was just a conclusion I came to, not from this Indian teacher. Well, that was a fortunate um, lesson that you learned from that Indian teacher. Yes. Because yeah. you've carried it throughout through your entire life. <laughs> right, right, right. You're, you're way ahead of the game because of it, in, in my opinion. Yeah. It, it, there's no uh, undeniable, there's undeniable proof that hyperbaric oxygen forces oxygen into the tissues. And with repeated dives, and of course a dive as we'll explain to the audiences when you are in the tank and it takes you down like going down a depth uh what's it measured at in, in a portable it, chamber it goes what's the depth it's, it's atas okay uh, absolute atmospheres yes and so the chambers that we work with are a portable type yes and it's um it cool to about eight nine feet underwater okay but that amount of pressure because of the water that pressure forces more oxygen into our bodies and then the benefits come from just that. You're yeah. just breathing normal. You're not doing anything else. Yeah. You're just now, breathing. Now, due to FDA reasons, because there are steel chambers that I've worked with some of the top, Dr. Richard Newbar, mm -hmm. Dr. David Steenblock, uh, Dr. Whitaker when he was doing it, and different people. So I've had a lot of experience with both the steel, high ox chambers. I, I arranged to bring one of the multi-chambers in from Texas in, into California. So I've been one of the early, early pioneers. In, mm -hmm. in fact, some people say Dr. Richard Newbar was one of the like grandfathers of hyperbaric oxygen. So I've studied the textbooks, the science. I'm a, a, a big believer. And at the same time, I realize that one dive doesn't really, you might notice an improvement, but it's the multiple dives. And that's yes. why people like to get the portable yes. chamber. They can take it home, use it on a regular basis. That's it's right. very affordable. And it's it's been purportedly beneficial to autistic uh, children. Absolutely. Uh, those who post-stroke. And I know there's an argument that says, well, why would you have a stroke patient use it but i came across a paper true story i was reading through the medical charts of of a good doctor friend of mine and i came across this paper and he said i, I turned to him and i said i said david how come you never talk about this he said oh yeah yeah it was one of our good success cases i said no you should you should be shouting this off at the rooftop telling everyone about this and, and I went on to, to write an article about it. There was an earlier article, but I expanded on it. And it was about this lady. And it turns out that those in hyperbaric treatment know that when someone has a stroke, get them in immediately. But most critical care centers don't have a hyperbaric facility. They don't have access. They're usually just in, in critical burn centers. Wound care. Yeah. Like but in China and in Russia and certain countries, it's the, it's the go-to treatment. They're all about it. Yeah. And, and partly the way I understood it was pharmaceuticals are expensive and in some of these countries they found once they had the chamber oxygen was free so there was nothing mm -hmm. that was expensive in their medical care their outcome was get result that's right so it made sense to me and i thought wow but i read that paper about a lady it was a year after her stroke and this particular doctor said what the heck let's put her in the chamber it might help yep because he had actually saved a lady who was in the midst of her stroke within, I think within 24 hours, they had her in the tank. Someone had read about it and, and literally any damage because the damage comes from 
the brain uh, not getting enough oxygen. And it's not just the stroke where the blockage is from maybe a poor diet. We can get into that on another day. But mm -hmm. the downstream, the, uh, the blood not getting through, but it's, it's the brain becoming inflamed. And then it's cutting out the electrical um, stimulus of the brain to the, to the spinal cord, to the body. So it's the after effect of the swelling and this hyperbaric oxygen that reduces the brain edema, the swelling, the fluid. Yeah. So he was able to protect or reverse or prevent brain damage, but he was really sticking his neck out. He says, well, what if I tried it a year, you know, a year later, two years, five oh, yeah. years later? Richard Newbar had been doing work, and he said, I have nothing to lose. It's, it's, it's reprinted by another doctor who's been doing multiple cases, and sure enough, he was able to bring this lady back to life. I was present Absolutely. during the course of treatments. I witnessed it with my own eyes. I, I went on to write about it, and I can't tell you how many people flooded in to, to meet and have treatments with this doctor, mm -hmm. and yet it's still not a treatment of choice. It's, it's, it's not common still. I mean, we feel that the market for what we're doing with the portable chamber, we actually have a, a heart chamber now that uh, I'm going to share with you uh, when I get a chance to show you. But um, we find that the market's wide open because people, they're not, they don't have access and they're not that expensive, you know. There's a lot of ways to get to get this to become part of a person or uh, a practitioner's world. But um, the the uh, brain issues, neurological issues. I've read case after case where people have tried everything else. They've literally tried everything else, and this problem is a year old. It's two years old, and you get them into a regular frequency of of sessions because that's the key: the frequency of sessions. Like you said, one session's not going to do no. anything. You don't even no. notice anything. But if you do it over time, the basic protocol is 41-hour sessions. You know, once a day for five days, take the weekends off. Yep. When you get to that 40, it impacts so many things significantly that people generally go into another 40 sessions. But getting that oxygen to the brain. Huge, huge. It's, it's angiogenesis, neurogenesis. Those things are no joke. And that's what happens with a hyperbaric chamber. And it's, again, oxygen. It's oxygen. Right. And think about it. Kids with cerebral palsy, which at birth, maybe the cord wrapped around and they were strangled and they didn't get enough oxygen, mm. so it caused brain damage. We saw results and benefits for kids with cerebral palsy. Furthermore, it was hypothesized that in addition to uh, using hyperbaric oxygen, what if you took cord blood stem cells which are easily adoptable for a child. And they're already producing a number of stem cells, but maybe, just maybe, added stem cells might make a difference. And maybe we could isolate on the type, and we did. We did 7,000 cases with hyperbaric oxygen, stem cells, and we reprinted study results, case studies of reversal of chronic brain damage, cerebral palsy, autism, and... I wasn't quite satisfied there. I said, gosh, what if all of the medical community got involved with this? What if we understood the importance of oxygen at all levels? And that's why for most of my career, I talked about the importance of diet because all this wonderful oxygen therapy that we're talking about here within, within hours of a fatty meal, you asked me how long blood stays on a screen, you know, it'll, it'll sit here floating alive under a cover slip for a good 8 to 12 hours. And I have this classic video, How to Become Diabetic in Six Hours, Steve. And it oh, shows geez. me with my blood as clean as yours, and then I drink a glass of olive oil. 
Oh, boy. And within hours, Yummy. you see the oil rolling into my bloodstream. And then and then I, I added insult to injury after my triglycerides had already doubled. And some people say, well, sure, of course, you drink oil. Yeah, look at how people use oil sparingly in their salad dressings and their cooking recipes and everything. And even purported to be a health food. I, I would agree, olives are a health food, but olive oil is just I, like I eat beets. olives. I don't eat olive, use olive oil anymore because you. I, I, I had eat the olives. There you I go. Use, absolutely have. So think about it. So, uh, you know, again, w- when you look at a simple, effective way to oxygenate the blood and to use my Simply Healthy cookbook, oil-free, sugar-free, gluten-free, dairy-free, and people say, well, what's left? Oh, my gosh, you're just the beginning of 240 amazing recipes that I introduced Tony Robbins to in my book, um, How to Look Great and Feel Sexy. I have it somewhere here. Oh, here it is. This is the actual cookbook that Tony Robbins used at Master University 1994-95, and they actually prepared the recipes from this book, and in their nine-day program, buffet-style, people would eat the recipes that I designed. Nice. And, 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 you know, Tony bought into, at that time, the oil-free uh, it's interesting, you know, I, and I say this because he even had the recipes made at, at his home. But one thing that I learned, you know, kind of in the course of time, if someone goes oil-free, that's a big advantage. But if they're having problems with delayed food allergies, such as like gluten, I, I didn't realize Tony had an issue with that at the time. Over time, not only did I realize the importance of dairy products, but I looked at gluten and I took a serious look and I said, yeah, there is a problem for some people and quite a few people. So what if we use more ancient grains, say rice or quinoa and so forth? And it worked. Mm -hmm. Sure enough, it worked. So you can go plant-based, which is what the newest book is all about, is go plant-based, but go that next level. And what is your health worth? Because if we're talking about healthy eating and oxygenation and immune reaction and autoimmune diseases and maybe solving 20 different chronic uh, illnesses or diseases, what can we do now if we add mouth breathing, right? And add that to hyperbaric oxygen. Add nose that breathing. to exercise. Nose breathing. Correction from <laughs> mouth breathing to nose breathing, right? Switching to nose yeah, breathing. Yeah, let, let's, let's delve a little deeper here. I, I, uh, yeah, this is a favorite subject. Okay, let's go further. Tom, we do the nose and blocking exercise. And if the person can breathe through their nose for one minute, they can do it for life. So even if they feel a little bit of air hunger. Now... I'm not saying that all 7,000 people that I've worked with switch to nasal breathing, but what I am saying is that they could switch to nasal breathing and they could breathe through their nose because there's also a bit of work in changing the behavior. And, um, you know, when we bear in mind all of the children who are getting tonsillectomy and adenoidectomy, there's very little follow-up in terms of restoring nasal breathing with these kids. And most notably, these children will be mouth breathers because if you have an obstruction to the back of the nose, you don't feel that you have enough air, so you, you, you revert to mouth breathing when you feel air hunger breathing through your nose. But even when the obstruction re- is removed, the behavior continues. <clears throat> and that's why, like, I think there should be a, a... I think that's critical because he, he, he said it very clearly. Even when the obstruction is removed, yes. which is what the ear, nose, and throat doctor is telling you the benefit of surgery. Correct. The behavior. That's the key. You're still going to be a mouth breather. They did nothing to address what caused So the sleep the apnea, major the asthma, the weight gain, the, all these sleep. things may not be of any benefit after surgery. That, that's what they're saying because the problem seems to be the mouth breathing. 
And yes, I probably have blockages in my nose, and I've, I've talked to you about this, um, but I'm learning to do these techniques. And he was talking about the, the, the head bobbing. That's the first thing I ever learned from Patrick McKeown. So, so show this for our audience. What do you mean head bobbing? Exactly? All you do is you, you take a breath in, you take a breath out, and you hold it. You bob your head. And all you do is, he said, it'll clear your sinuses. And, and I did it once, and I was like, well, a little bit of difference. I did it twice, uh -huh. and it was more. I did it three times, and it cleared my sinuses. My right side is a problem. I probably have something in there. Mm -hmm. But um, I said, wow, this guy's on to something. And then I just kept studying Patrick. And then James Nestor, obviously, he's come on the scene because he's got a book out now, and he's going to talk about it, or he is talking about it. But it, it made a difference in my life, and I do breath hold work every day. On my way into work, I'm doing these crazy things while I'm driving my car, and uh, it's made a difference. I just told you I purchased a device to help me keep my mouth closed at night, so I am forced to breathe through my nose. I also tape my mouth uh, so that I breathe through my nose. Although tape and the doesn't taping hold. is to kind of condition your body, hopefully while you're sleeping, to more breathe through your nose. Yes. But like you said, for some people it may not be the best solution or maybe it's the the way you go about taping i know these two gentlemen talk about it yeah um i got word because i was interviewed by uh, ben greenfield and he and mm. i went to uh, a famous fight uh, mcgregor and mayfield uh, it you know the in oh, boxing nice and uh, we did some podcasts together so okay. you know i know ben pretty well uh, the point is that sometimes the beauty of of technology today we can bring these experts in with us on on youtube replies it's, and talk it's, about it's it great and make the point and more importantly show people your actual living blood its ability to transport oxygen i, ha I have good habits and and th that blood bears bears that i'm doing something good right yes tremendously that's that's so simple to understand uh yeah everybody should have their blood looked at and, and think about <laughs> it red blood cells pick up oxygen and when they go through the capillary beds they they're actually biconcave discs so they have to bend themselves backward imagine a pancake and then bending it over so to squeeze through the smaller capillary beds that's how oxygen and carbon dioxide gets exchanged because they bend yes and it releases yeah is that the idea yeah because wow. well think about it the the actual here the the diameter of a red blood cell is nine microns but when it comes to the comes to the area where the smallest capillary it's seven microns a red blood cell in its full form can't squeeze through the smallest capillary beds to feed the brain or the oxygen to the lungs or anywhere wow it must bend backwards to squeeze through interesting so when it folds over it, it, it that's how it exchanges oxygen but here's what everyone ah. misses if there's too much oil or fat or grease or animal protein all the excess calories coats the blood cells. These are little fatty particles, by the way, which is normal. But if your triglycerides, if I were to measure right now, I guarantee they'll be under 120, probably even 80, 70, like mine are all the time, 24-7. Okay. But if you took your typical person eating greasy cheeseburgers and so forth, when I mentioned I drank the olive oil, I chased it two hours later with a cheese hoagie sandwich. It had uh, wow. ham and cheese, something I normally wouldn't eat, but for the experiment, yes. you know, people say, you'd like that too much. Yeah, I, I remember <laughs> the day when I used to eat that stuff, yeah, okay? They, kind of tasty. I'll, I'll be honest, that's <laughs> what I ate. And within two more hours, there was so much fat in my bloodstream. You could visually see on this video that I show 
uh, of it looks like a snowstorm. There's so much fat, and it's that wow. point that the red blood cells stick together. And when the red cells stick together, they can't get through the capillary beds. Ah. It depre- deprives the oxygen in the brain by thirty percent, and you start to fall asleep. You go semi-state of unconsciousness. So when wow. you're in a state of semi-unconsciousness, what do you reach for? And you've been at the dinner table, and you still got to work your lunch table. You reach for coffee. 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 It doesn't necessarily cut or, to or the an grease. energy drink or yes, any of that stuff. It wakes you up. Now you're overworking the adrenals. Adrenals. Yeah. So now you're starting to see how this all comes together. It all ties together. I mean, this is everything fits. Everything it, fits. It makes so much sense that I couldn't explain this to people without showing them their own blood and them telling me, "Hey, I'm tired all the time. I don't know what it is." And when I we at, we have an eligibility eligibility program in our coaching program, we answer a series of questions. It becomes self-evident to me, and then mm-hmm. it is kind of a self-training thing, but then we put all the dots together, and we create a personalized program for each person, and it's that point where you have long-term meaningful success. Make sense? Which is the goal. Yeah. We don't want to be good for a day. We want to be good for a lifetime. Yeah, check this Respiratory out. Respiratory rehabilitation in hospitals, but these children that are coming out of tonsillectomy and adenoidectomy, and also adults who have... Uh, no surgery. I had no surgery in 1994, but uh, nobody told me to breathe through it afterwards. So I kept breathing through an open mouth until about 1998, and it was a newspaper article where I read about the importance of nasal breathing. That newspaper article completely changed my life. Yep. Now, coming back to Guillem, you know, 60, there's a 65% worsening in the AHI index in children, which is the apnea, hypopnea index, within three years, unless nasal breathing is, is, not, is restored. So it's only short term. So we're putting children through traumatic, traumatic operations. And it's only a short term outcome if we don't change the behavior. Um, so, yeah, so it's, it's, it's. Yeah, when I sat down with the physician in this particular case, uh, who was telling the mother and the child about, look, we can solve the sleep apnea. What he just stated, what did he say? 63% of the sleep apnea cases persist because yeah. they never were trained to breathe properly through the nose. Correct. They didn't change the habit that was causing the problem. And maybe they didn't need the surgery. They could have gone straight to nasal breathing. Well, that's breathing. just like James Nestor was saying. He, They said, you're an ideal candidate, but he says, I'm going to try something different. And he's, it's worked for him. He's so the one great. guy, Patrick McEwen, had the surgery. He had the surgery. And it didn't benefit him. They didn't teach him how to breathe differently. And the other gentleman, uh, Nestor... Right. He said no surgery. No surgery. And he went with the breathing technique, and he developed his breathing skills. Wow. And he's doing great, and now he's Huge. written a book about Huge. it, and his life Huge. has changed. Huge, guys. Hey, guys, I got to tell you, the new coaching program has come out, and we're excited about the coaching program because the coaching program is at nickdelgado.com. We'd love to help to guide you, to coach you on your health journey. And now you can apply for the special coaching program. And you can also get our special book, Immune Rejuvenation. Just leave your name and email, and you're going to get one of the best books written on this whole subject. We are excited to know, Anna, and I got to tell you that, you know, the whole idea of immune rejuvenation has come.